John, thank you, Chris and Christina. Did you catch that? There was more than just a husband and wife up here dancing. There was this beautiful parallel of God the Father, Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit, dancing with us, the bride, the body of Christ. Now, guys, I know for some of you, you have a hard time swallowing that truth, you know, but I always say I'm a little more comfortable with it now. I just, I'm a bride, but I wear combat boots under my dress. <laughs> I compromise a little bit, but, but there was this beautiful depiction of the end of our journey and the beginning of our journey at the same time. See, here on earth, this is, this is only a little smidgen of time in our journey with Jesus that we have. And when we pass from this life that we know here into that next life after death, we begin a whole new journey with God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. There is this romance that the three of them desire to romance us with as individuals and as the body of Christ together. This song actually comes from the Song of Solomon, one of my favorite books of the Bible, because it is the greatest romantic, intimate 
description between God the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit and us. A lot of times people portray it and they say, well, this is Solomon talking to his wife, and yes, that can be taken, but the ultimate, ultimate arena of that is all about us and God. And that's where we're going to end up in all of this. We are going to end up with the lover of our soul. And something that gets us there is transformation. I have been in a process uh, for a while now with God that there is just a lot of character building going on in my life. I'll be very candid with you. I'm not enjoying it. I wish I could report to you and say, I love it. It's fantastic. I'm journaling it and I can't wait to give you a good report, but I hate it. But see, transformation is what gets us to what we just saw. That character building is what gets us to what we just saw depicted with Chris and Christina, but also that understanding of God and us. See, God is in this process of preparing us and our character so that on that wedding day, that that day when Jesus descends from the sky for his followers, God is waiting to present us to him as beautiful and spotless and perfect and amazing. But all of this transformation and character building first has to take place so that we can join the lover of our soul. If you read in the Bible, you won't get too far without realizing in the Old and New Testament that fasting, fasting was actually a lifestyle for those who called themselves Christ followers. It was the rhythm of life. It was like you have summer, you have fall, winter, an eerie winter, winter, winter. Then we get to spring. Uh, and then summer again, and then we're back to winter. Sometimes I think we skip fall. But anyway, that's, that's part of the rhythm of life. It was like night and day. Night comes, then day comes, night and day and day. In the same manner, for those who were Christ followers, this discipline of a fasted lifestyle was normal for them. It was normal for them to live a life where they would go without meals. They would go for days without engaging in any type of eating. Fasting is simply taking time to abstain from physical food. See, we're so dependent as human beings on physical food because it nourishes us, it sustains us, it keeps us fueled and keeps us going. And when we remove that aspect, that element out of our daily living, our bodies begin to go a different way. We begin to shut down. We begin to think slow, speak slow. And then we realize we become physically weak, but that is the intention because God wants us to become physically weak so we can become spiritually strong. This incredible paradox that God created long before time. And it's in that fasting, it is in that time that we take this holy discipline that our character begins to be worked on that that transformation begins to take place. Even in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus quotes and he says, when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. He was expecting this. He was expecting to see this in all of those who follow after him. That if you are a Christ follower, if you have confessed in your heart and with your mouth 
and ask Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to become Lord of your heart and your life, you become a Christ follower. You repent, you do a 180 degree turn in the direction that you're heading towards hell and you turn around, you neglect that and you walk towards the kingdom of God. That is salvation in a nutshell. And then you call yourself a Christ follower. The gospels tell us that Jesus started off his ministry with an intense amount of fasting prior to even beginning to minister in the scriptures that we see. In fact, it says that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's pretty intense, if you ask me. What we do know is this, is that we must realize that fasting is a spirit-led experience. We know this is a spirit-led experience because it says in the Gospel of Mark that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights drove him, didn't coerce him, didn't try to talk him into it. They're a team, so they knew what they were doing, but the Holy Spirit drove him into the desert. And therefore we know that fasting is a spirit-led experience. So my question for us this morning is, how many times has the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, been driving you to fast, but yet maybe you've neglected it? How many times have you felt that inkling in your gut, that inkling inside your spirit man, inside your mind that says, hey, I really feel that I should give up a couple meals. I really feel that I should take two or three days and abstain from eating just, just to get in touch with the lover of my soul. And then we justify things. We pull out our calendars, we get out our iPhones, our Blackberries, our Samsungs, we're looking, well, I better put this on the schedule. Well, I can't on Monday because I did promise, you know, Billy that I'd have a luncheon with him. Oh, and then wait, we have a dinner party on Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, you know, I guess, I guess this isn't going to work out, Jesus. What I find amazing is that Jesus wasn't physically strong when he was fasting, but spiritually he was at his peak when he overcame Satan in the desert. Did you get that? I think it is just so amazing. You know, you're gonna laugh at this, but God's a genius. <laughs> Some of you are like, duh, but no, really think about this. I mean, he is a genius because God, I'm God, the, the creator of the universe, he could have set it up that everything was done in supernatural power. He said, all right, Jesus, here's the deal. When you're on earth, I'm going to send you into the desert for 40 days, 40 nights. Satan's going to show up. We know this because we know everything. So when he shows up, I want you to put him in a headlock. I want you to give him an old one, two, three uppercut. We're going to make an example of him. Holy Spirit's like, mm, mm-hmm, I agree. Mm-hmm, this is good. This is good. And they called it good. No, that's not scriptural. <laughs> Some of you are like, isn't that Genesis? Yes, it is. Some of you are like, really? What, Bible is, what book of the Bible is that in? Don't go there. But the genius of God is that he sends Jesus to the earth in human form and Jesus surrenders his majesty in heaven and he comes as a human and he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he goes against the enemy in physical weakness. 
but spiritually empowered to conquer the enemy. And Jesus, moment by moment, overcomes the enemy with the word of God, the very words that are living within him because he is the word. Several years ago, about five years ago, um, I really felt the Holy Spirit driving me to fast. Now, I live a fasted lifestyle. I'm telling you this as an example. I'm not telling you this to like, you know, I live a fasted lifestyle and if you'd want to, you know, like nothing like that. I'm just saying in general, I live a fasted lifestyle as a Christ follower. But five years ago, the Lord really challenged me. And I felt the Holy Spirit driving me to say, I want you to fast for 40 days. (laughs) Right. You're a jokester. You're so hilarious, Holy Spirit. And so I, I kept like going back and forth and I justify a little bit of why I shouldn't fast for 40 days. And I'm like, well, you know, I got a thyroid problem, God, and I can't give up food for too long because then my medicine makes me sick. And, you know, all these different things. Like, you know, it's amazing when you don't want to do something, what you can come up with. And so I began to go back and forth with the Holy Spirit. And finally I decided, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to do this no matter how I struggle through it, this is what God's calling me to do. I don't know why he's calling me to do it, but I'm just going to be obedient and I'm going to do it. And I remember that this was a total Holy Spirit driven fast because here's why. Three days prior to the actual date, I set a date, I set a goal, and I said on this day, I will start my 40-day fast. Three days prior to that, I woke up extremely early in the morning around seven o'clock. Just kidding. I woke up very early in the morning and I was standing in the bathroom. I was washing my face and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I have given you the grace to do this. Now start it. And immediately I knew that was the time to start my fast. And I did it. I did that fast. It was not easy. It was extremely hard. But the grace of God being led by the spirit of God was on me and I was able to do it because it was a spirit led experience. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three for a few moments. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. This is on your outlines and on the screens. And if you want, you can open up your Bibles. I encourage you to do that and look with us. It says this in Deuteronomy eight, three. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I really appreciate author and pastor Mark Buchanan. He actually chimes in on this scripture and he makes this statement that really struck me regarding Deuteronomy 8.3, he says, it's a truth that's hard, maybe impossible to learn between fistfuls and mouthfuls of food. It's funny that when we have a donut in one hand and coffee in the other, it's easy to agree with scripture that, oh yeah, yeah, I can agree with like living on the words of God all the time, you know, God sustains me. But when we take those elements away, How easy is it? Question that came to mind when I was preparing for this this morning is this. Who understands? 
who really understands that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Just when I think I do, I realize that I don't. Who really understands this enough to withstand and overcome the face of temptation? An individual on a full or empty stomach. Let me pause here a minute, and I want to encourage you with this, and I say this in a very humble manner, with no sarcasm. But if you are a Christ follower, and you feel that you are exempt from fasting, I'm sorry, but you have a rude awakening coming. Will you be able to stand in the days of temptation and trial without having to fast? Will your inner man be so strengthened, so close with the lover of your soul that you will be able to endure? I don't think so. Jesus set that example for us in the desert. Satan came to Jesus with several factors of temptation that let's be honest and raw, all of us deal with in this room. He overcame the enemy because of his lifestyle of fasting, of a holy habit, a holy discipline. A healthy church is a fasting church. An eating church is an obese church spiritually. Think about that. Please understand that fasting is not a religious or legalistic requirement. Jesus doesn't tell us, he doesn't come to us and say, listen, if you are a Christ follower, you must fast. It's not the requirement of like baptism. Jesus says, if you're a Christ follower, I'm requiring, I'm telling you, you need to be baptized. Fasting is not a religious requirement, but it's encouraged because of what goes on within us. And I'm sorry, but, well, actually, no, I'm not sorry. (laughs) All I got to say is this. Why would you not want to be close, closer, drawn in, deeper with the lover of your soul? And what a quicker, greater way than to get there than to abstain from that which we consider to be an idol of our lives. Fasting is a spirit-driven activity. It's it's an encounter with God working in us one-on-one. It's that drawing to the lover of our soul. Fasting is not only a spirit-led experience, but fasting humbles us. It humbles us quickly, truthfully, to be honest, because it shows us our personal limits and how frail we really are. It's easy that when, when we're full of strength, it's so easy to not depend on God, isn't it? Because we can do anything. The reality is, is when we fast, it brings us back to the truth of who we are. We're frail people. We're not invincible. And that's why we need God. Do you realize that if we could, if we could take our soul, our mind, will, and our emotions, if we could like extract it from us and pull it out, and if we could split it in half and dissect it, do you realize that the soul is more complicated, more beautiful, more full of wonder 
than the galaxies of the universe that scientists are still continuing to discover? Because God made it. And here's what's even more crazy. Our soul is so complex that the God of the universe, Jesus, Holy Spirit, decided to house themselves inside of us. We carry the presence of God. We carry the presence of God, a God who cannot be contained. A God that says he is a consuming fire decides to take up residence in us, our soul, within us. You know what that says? We're special to him. We're special to him. See, God could have chosen anything. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit could have said, hey, I think the way to go is to put our presence in cows. And that's what we're going to do. That'll be our plan of salvation. We'll have cows carry our presence. He could have said, you know what? We are going to use the stars of the universe to carry our presence. People will know us by the presence of the stars. No. The Godhead looks at us, creates us, and says, we will house us in humans. And we find this truth in Deuteronomy 8.2. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, it says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you keep his commandments. Hunger humbles us. I'll be very candid with you this morning. Some of you who know me, I'm a very closed individual. But when you ask me, I tell it like it is. Some of you are like, "Mm mm-hmm. For the past few months, I have what I would call normally, I feel like I've been in a funk. Felt weird. Felt like I couldn't hear God. Like I felt like, why pray? Because it doesn't even feel like he hears me. I'd come on Sundays sometimes, and for those of you who decide to worship by watching the staff down front, (laughs) you'd see me sometimes, I might not raise my hands, or I put my hands in my pocket, or I wouldn't even sing, because my attitude, my prideful attitude, was like, why bother worship? If I'm not feeling God and I don't know he's here, then (laughs) why bother to give lip service, right? I started to intentionally get alone with God. Did you hear that? Intentionally. Not religiously, not routinely. I started to intentionally get alone with God out of a cry for the lover of my soul because I felt there was this disconnect between him and I, and it was killing me, eating me alive. And I intentionally got away with God, and I said, I need to ask you questions, and I need answers. God in his genius again would answer back with a question. And I realized that I'm in a process of death right now. Now, now, before you gasp and you're, you know, you know, like, relax, people, relax. This is a God-oriented death, a spirit-led death, a death that I need to die to in my heart. 
Because Jesus is looking into my soul and he is seeing things there that he says, you know what? If you want to be with the lover of your soul, then you must die to some of these things because you and us, meaning Jesus and Holy Spirit and Father, we can't exist together in such deep intimacy with these other things. And so God began the killing process. And I have been humbled. Because it opens our eyes to our true neediness. We're needy people. When we get before the face of God, we're so needy. We're so desperate. See, when, when, when our hands are full of food and our mouths are full of food and our tummies are full, it's easy to declare to God that everything is good, everything is fine, everything is perfect, and we're not needy because we've got everything that we need. That's what we think. And then we take those religious words such as fine and good and, and wonderful and, and we use them as a facade over the pain that we are encountering. So then when we come to church, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm good. Hey, how are you doing? I'm well. Hey, what's going on in your life? How's things? Perfect, brother. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Bless you. And really the whole time we're like dying inside. We're in pain. We're hurting because of our pride. And God just simply says, look, if you just give this to me, I'll humble you and I'll do amazing work in you. Fasting is not meant to be a demonstration of superhuman strength. It's actually the opposite. It's a demonstration of our human weakness. I think of the days when Israel was in the desert, the days of manna. God would give Israel enough manna to to get through that day. He would give them instruction and say, look, don't try and hoard it. Don't, don't try and hoard it because it's going to be stinky and nasty and disgusting. And there was people who still just wouldn't listen to God and they just felt they had a better plan. Not like we do that, but, you know, uh, but Israel just felt they had a better plan. And so they would hoard it and then they would wake up and it would be rotten and disgusting. And God was teaching them to really live, live and trust and grow in faith and depend on him. And he's doing the same thing with us when we fast. And I think of today, like when we're faced with fasting, it's like a crisis. Like sometimes we want to riot. You know, like, <laughs> we're like screaming, you know, and like we're moody. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> Praise in Jesus. Glory to God. Hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm fasting. You are? Oh, okay, I'll, I'll be praying for you. Yeah, I need it. <laughs> you need something. Besides a breath mint. <clears throat> but, <laughs> but what's the best part is like when you ask somebody and say, hey, well, how long have you been fasting? How long have you been in this fast? I haven't ate breakfast or lunch. First day. I'm going mental. <laughs> Oh, 
We're supposed to feel hungry and weak when we fast. We're supposed to. It's God's intention. God doesn't make mistakes. When God purposed it within us to fast, he wasn't making a mistake that we would feel hungry, that we would feel pain. He did it on purpose to keep us humble. So a lot of times what we do is we'll, we'll take things to avoid the sting of the pain. So instead of stretching our faith and trust in God a little bit and maybe just fasting and drinking water, we incorporate juice. Now, when I fast, sometimes I drink juice. I'll, I'm going to be honest. But what I'm saying is, is, why are we using it? Are we using it to take away the sting of the pain? Or we just fill up on coffee to take away the sting of the pain? But what if, what if we would just let go of all of that? What if we would just really stretch ourselves and say, I'm just going to fast and drink water? How deep would we allow God to really go within us? The discomfort we experience is his way of humbling us. It's a holy habit that shows us what God really intends to be true. So we move from this place of self-centered worship to true worship with God. From false humility and a facade to actual genuine humility before the Lord. And from self-gratification to a place of surrendering and realizing that we're frail and we need God and that he is the only self-gratification that we can have. Fasting not only humbles us, but fasting tests us. I got to be honest, there's a lot of that floating around here this morning. I hate to be tested, just being truthful. I hate taking tests. I hate, I hate, <laughs> I witnessed with you. I hate taking exams. I hate taking a course and then at the end, you test me to see if I have knowledge of what I just learned. And the reason I hate that is because in my self-justifying reasons, I feel as though you don't trust me. You don't have faith in me. You don't think that I can deliver. But what I've discovered is that when I get with Jesus, I realize that I have a pride issue. And I'm not humble. And so he tests me in the area of pride. Deuteronomy 8, 2, we're going to revisit this verse. It says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you in all the way the wilderness these 40 years to humble and what? Test you in order to know what is in your what? Heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. Last week when we did communion, if you were here, you heard me mention about what was taking place in Genesis with Adam and Eve and God and Jesus and Holy Spirit. We hear the story and some of us are aware of the story and maybe it's the first time hearing the story. But in Genesis, the story goes that Adam and Eve sinned. They were told that they would be like God and they desired that. And as a consequence, sin was birthed. When Adam and Eve sinned, something happened, something drastic. 
there was a separation between them and God. So much separation that God and Jesus and Holy Spirit had never felt before, so much that it brought them down to the earth, to the garden. And the three of them are in the garden. Now see here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw something at you and you might be able, you're like, wait a minute, no, it said that God was in the garden. God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus are one. They roll together. They don't separate. So the three of them come down to the garden and the first thing that they ask Adam and Eve is, where are you? It wasn't because that, you know, God and Jesus and Holy Spirit were up in heaven and they're, you know, worshiping and having a good time that they lost track of where Adam and Eve were. They came down because they were seeking to restore intimate relationship between them and Adam and Eve. That question, where are you, is all about the restoration of a separated relationship of intimacy. Fasting helps create that intimacy between us and the lover of our soul. Fasting is what humbles us in the midst of our deep relationship with Jesus, but in return, his very presence is what tests us. It brings to the surface those things that are deep down, that are masked, that are masked to hide from our own selves and from others that we encounter. And when we choose to fast, there is a deep turning within us that, that we can't do anything about. The hunger that we encounter strips away that mask. Hunger becomes a mirror. And that mirror that we go to in the midst of that fast, we look at ourselves in that mirror and everything is stripped away. The mask that we have put on because of that deep wound in our heart or that issue that we're struggling with, that, that hidden secret, that sin of our lives, the mask is pulled away and we begin to look at what is really there. The mask that we wear to hide things from everybody else and, and it begins to come down and we begin to get a reality of what is really there. And a lot of times we're afraid to enter into that fast because we know the mask will come off. And we're not so concerned about the mask coming off for ourselves because we deal with it. We're used to suppressing it. We're used to hiding it. We're used to stomping it down. And we're not so much afraid all the time of people knowing what's behind the mask. But what scares us is the response of God when the mask comes off. And we are afraid that when we get real and we get raw before the presence of Jesus and the mask comes off, that he's going to yell at us and he's going to scream at us and he's going to beat us down. And he'll tell us how evil and awful and wicked we are. And then when he's done scolding us, he'll tell us he loves us and pats us on the back and then says, now trust me, that's not the character of God. In fact, fasting draws us into the lover of our soul. It draws us in and he grabs a hold of us when the mask comes down and he looks at us and he says, oh, you are so precious. You are so precious. And he gently deals with what is inside. 
The thing is, is that if we're not careful, food can become an idol, and our culture loves food. It's everywhere. We love food. In fact, author and pastor Mark Buchanan calls it culinary pornography. Culinary pornography. I think that's pretty, pretty wise. In fact, he says that Starbucks, McDonald's, and Coca-Cola, the logo is so recognized over the entire world more than the cross of Christ. It's pretty crazy. Fasting not only tests us in areas of our heart, but it tests our food obsession. It tells us what is really priority in our hearts. <laughs> so we have, we have a break room here at the office. And um, it's for everybody, the staff, support staff, you know. And uh, usually once a week without fail, uh, there will be some type of goodie or treat on the counter. And it's free game. You know, it's like communal. So somebody might bake a pie and they stop by the office and they, you know, we put the pie in there or, you know, some, some chocolate sweets or something or a bin of pretzel, whatever. It's just always flowing. It's like the land of milk and honey. And uh, sometimes I make myself laugh. <laughs> That's, I just had that moment. <clears throat> but back on track. Anyway, you know, that's one of the greatest challenges where God tests me when I'm fasting. Like, I'm good at home. You know, like, I'm, I'm in my Jesus mode, except when kids act up. And, and, and everything is good with, with me and the Lord. And, and I, get, I get here to the church. I'm doing great. Put my worship music on my computer. I'm just jamming out, worshiping the Lord. Love you, Jesus. You know, everything's great. And then I need some water and the water cooler is in the break room. And so I make my way to the break room and I'm still in the spirit, people. I am in the spirit. And all of a sudden there is a army, a malicious front from the pit of hell <laughs> waiting at the door of that break room to attack me. The kingdom of darkness is rising up out of there with chocolates and danishes. And my heart is torn because I'm like, oh, I've never had that before. Mm, oh, those are scones, scones. Those are orange scones. Never had an orange scone before. I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder what that's, no, Jesus, I love you more. I love you more. I love you more than the scone. How are you doing? I'm going to get my water. And, and I flirt with it. You know, and, and I look at it. Now, you're laughing because you do this. It's true. And I flirt with it, and I'm like, now I know that when I break my fast, I can go get a scone if I want. Now, these scones aren't going to be here all day, though. And, and this, this scone was not made at Panera. No, th this was a homemade scone. You hearing me, Lord? Homemade, not manufactured. Homemade. And I know you like organic. But we, but that's what we do. And there is just this raging battle of obsession in us and we feel as though we're never going to get that again. And so we begin to covet food and it becomes an idol. And idolatry is not a place that we want to be between us and God. 
we don't want to be worshiping something more than him. I do have good news out of all of this. Because even though fasting humbles us and tests us, fasting teaches us. It teaches us that we can't live on bread alone, relationally and spiritually. See, if, if you're a Christ follower, if you claim to love Jesus, and you're not living on a steady diet of the word, if you're not living on a steady diet of tithing, if you're not living on a steady diet of worship, if you're not living on a steady diet of fasting, you're not being sustained. You're not being nourished. And, and, and I'm going to be very blunt with you. If you think that other people can sustain you through them being in the scriptures, them praying, them worshiping, you're dying on the inside because you've been given over to deception. You know what I love is when people come to me and they're like, hey, you got a word from God for me? Why? Well, I just, you know, I need to hear God. Oh, wait, yeah. <clears throat> Go and pray and ask God yourself and he'll speak to you. Television has its ups and downs as far as good and bad. But if your only solid diet is from what is being preached on television and you're not testing it, you're not meditating on it, you're not fasting through it, you're not praying through it, you're malnourished. Husbands, if you're depending on your wives to be spiritual and pray for you, and cover you in prayer so that you can relax, you're deceived. Wives, if your full dependency is upon your husband and first not on the Lord, you will know failure. God calls us first to find our identity, our hope, our purpose in God first. And then the job of our husband is to come alongside the Lord and encourage us in those things. We have to know the language, the thoughts, the emotions, and the feelings that flow from the heart of God. But we can't if we neglect the lover of our soul. Deuteronomy 8.3 I'll finish up with this. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I've discovered personally that when my stomach is full, it's easy to forget about the blessings of God. When, when my stomach is full, I forget about God's love. I forget about his mercy. I forget about his grace. And I realize I need to change that. There should never be a moment in my life where I forget about the wonder of God. 
Oh man, and where would we be? We know the answer, but where would we be without his mercy? Where would we be without his grace, his salvation, his love? We can't be scripturally anorexic. We can't be scripturally anorexic. Anorexia is when we have a fear of gaining weight. And so we choose to limit ourselves because we're afraid of gaining. Part of my concern in the body of Christ as a whole is that we've grown comfortable with being scripturally anorexic. We don't want to gain too much in the word because the word houses truth. When truth is presented to us and truth confronts us, accountability must happen. When accountability happens, that means we can't do what we used to do or what we like doing. My cry is that we would not depend on our Sunday services or our pastors to be like a fast food drive through service. That we would not become comfortable with showing up on Sunday morning and that's the only time that we really worship God or the only time that we really open the word of God or that the only time that we are really challenged and that then we expect that to sustain us through the rest of the week because it's not going to happen. God has infused within our hearts the lover of our soul that he calls to us night and day over and over, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on a Wednesday night. He calls to us over and over to dig into his word, to go into a lifestyle of prayer, to a lifestyle of fasting because he wants relationship. Physical hunger is meant to deepen our spiritual hunger for the lover of our soul, to romance us. And yes, the battle is always going to be raging, raging to follow Jesus, even for the wrong reasons, even when our stomachs are full. God wants to give us himself. And not only that, but when we encounter Daddy God, our hearts become rendered for the oppressed, for the hungry, for the homeless. Fasting isn't always about us. A lot of times fasting is about knowing the heart of God and what he has. Fasting causes brokenness within us. And when we experience that brokenness, we then have a desire to help fix that which is broken. Several years ago, some of you know this about me and others of you don't. I don't talk about it too openly. Several years ago while I was fasting and I was praying, I was driving, I was on a hospital call at very early hours of the morning, around 2, 2 or 3 a.m. And I had gone to see a patient who was in pain and I was there and I had left and I was on my way back and I decided for some reason, I felt a pull to take a different route home, go some back roads. As I was going down the back road, I stopped at a stoplight and I noticed a facility. I'm not going to say what it is, but I noticed a facility that had an open sign at that time of the morning. Something struck my heart. 
And normally I don't pay attention to stuff like that. I just keep going. But something struck my heart. Something stood out that what the sign said on the building didn't make sense for the time that it was open and there was vehicles there. As I began to pray, God, to re- God began to really rend my heart. He began to really tear it apart for the oppressed, for the hungry, for those who are in need, for those who don't have a voice. And God led me to the arena of human trafficking, human tra- trafficking of children and young teenagers. God began to open doors for me that I really didn't begin to expect, and I didn't even know what to do with it. These are actual faces of children, by the way, that um, have been rescued from human trafficking, and they're healthy, and they're adorable, and they're beautiful. And they're being restored into society right now. They're being counseled, and they're being taught how to actually have a job, and to live, and to know what love really is. But I think back to the day that if I wasn't willing to be driven by the Holy Spirit into a time of prayer and fasting where God was humbling me, where God was testing me, and where God decided to begin to teach me, I don't think that I would be focusing some of my energy and efforts on those who are oppressed, those who are hungry, those who are in need. My challenge to you is this. You don't have to go and and rescue some children out of a brothel. But the oppressed and the hungry and those that are in need, when you fast, ask God who those are. Who are they? And what does he want you to do about it? Because I guarantee you, as a Christ follower, we're called to do those things. We're called to take care of those who are in need. Last week, Pastor Jack presented you with some questions to ask yourselves. And this week, I'm going to give you a few questions in applying what we discovered today and discussed. Now, throwing a little application into this, tomorrow we actually begin our corporate fast. Tomorrow through next Sunday. And uh, if you've never fasted before, there's nothing wrong with that. Fasting doesn't make you more spiritual than somebody else. It's just all about you and Jesus. But if you never fasted before, or maybe you've tried it and you weren't sure how to go about it, I'm going to encourage you to go to our website because we have materials and resources on there for free that will give you direction, that will help you, that will help things make sense. But let's put this into perspective now. Let's do something with this because it's really not a holy habit. It's not really a sacred habit if we don't do it. And through this message, you can see the notes, the notes in the podcast and so on and so forth. So my first thing to you is this. When you fast, simply ask yourself this question. How is the Holy Spirit leading me to fast? That's the first place you want to start. Is the Holy Spirit driving you to fast for two meals, three meals a day? Two days, three days, four days? That's between you and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit but the first place to start is by asking him that question. The second thing that I'm encouraging you to ask is what areas of my life does God want to test through fasting? Maybe it is a food obsession that God wants to test. Maybe God says, hey, I've discovered that the food in your life has become an idol and he wants to test that. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe there's something else, but ask him blatantly, what do you want to test? and be prepared for the answer. 
Finally, what is it that Jesus wants to teach me through this fast? Because there's something that is waiting in heaven for you, just you, because you're special. God says that we are the apple of his eye, that he knows everything about us, the hairs on our head, everything. And so we are special. And that means he has something in heaven that is on reserve that he's been waiting to teach you. And God has designed a purpose for fasting. He wants to humble us, he wants to test us, and he wants to teach us. He wants that gnawing in our stomachs to cause a breaking of our hearts for what breaks his. I want to encourage you too that you would look on our Facebook because we're posting questions and communal action that we want to encourage you to encourage one another and challenge one another at the same time. So I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. As we ended last week with this prayer, we are going to end it this week as well. Repeat after me or together. And now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your guidance and your direction. We thank you for this call to a lifestyle of fasting. I pray that you would would rend our hearts, that, Father, we would not be spiritually lazy and be tempted with that, but, Lord, that there would be a stirring within us to live differently. I pray, God, that you would protect us through this week corporately as we engage in this corporate fast together. I ask God for the grace, the grace that we fast together and an endurance and a perseverance that only comes from you. Father, that in our spiritual state, may we be strengthened like we never have before. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Enjoy your day.